mentioned before that I was given by someone a piece of paper filled with questions about the Bibles and just different uh, sermon topics. And one of the topics that was listed there was to explain in greater detail the parable that Jesus tells about the workers in the vineyard. So that's what we're going to do today is take a look at this parable that Jesus tells and talk a little bit about what it's all about. So this parable is found in Matthew chapter 20, and it goes from verses 1 to verse 16. So let's begin by reading through the parable itself. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day, all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, like many of the parables that Jesus tells, and really many uh, passages of Scripture, there is more than one lesson to be learned from it. And today I want to talk about two different lessons that can be learned from this passage. The first one is kind of an eternal teaching uh, which is the primary purpose of this parable, is to give an eternal teaching about salvation. And so what this parable is really talking about is that everyone who asks for forgiveness of their sin and gives their life to Christ can receive the free gift of salvation. And it doesn't matter what kind of life they've had in the past. It doesn't matter what they've done or who they are or where they've come from. Salvation is freely given to all. And it is the same for every person who receives it. It is equal across the board. So it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're liked or if you're disliked by other people, if you're popular, if you're not popular. Who you are doesn't matter. All that matters is that you are repentant for the wrong that you have done. And if you are, then you will receive salvation no matter who you are. So that's kind of the eternal teaching. 
But what I really want to focus on is more of the life lesson that we can learn from these workers, because I believe it is a lesson about self-stewardship. And what I mean by by self-stewardship is taking responsibility for your own actions and your own life. So let me talk a little bit about how this parable can teach us a lesson about self-stewardship. Let's look at why the workers became angry. Now, we can look at this story, and if we put ourselves in the shoes of these workers, it's easy to understand why they became frustrated. They did a lot more work than everyone else, and yet they received the same payment at the end of the day. So even the people that were only there for an hour still received a whole denarius just like them. And so it's easy to look at that situation and say, well, this doesn't seem fair. We, we all got paid the same amount, and yet we had to do so much, so much more work than what everybody else had to do. And the really key point that these workers forgot was that they had agreed to do the work for a denarius, which was about what people were usually paid for a full day of work. So they had already had their own agreement between them and this master to work his vineyard and receive a denarius. That was what was agreed upon. But what happened is the workers then became upset because they were distracted about by, by the situation of these other workers and the situation between the master and those workers, which was really a situation that they had no control over and really should have had no business being concerned about anyways, as the end of the parable goes on to describe. But they became so distracted by those things that didn't really have anything to do with them and were even outside of their control and let that change the expectations that they had for what they were supposed to receive because they had forgotten that they had agreed to work for a denarius. And because they were so distracted by everything else that was happening on and the situations of these other people and uh, the exchange between them and the master that they had really no control over because it sounds like if they did have control over it, they would have either given those other workers less money or given themselves more money. Either way, they wanted to change how it was done, but it was not their place to change it. And so instead, they became frustrated. And in doing so, they lost focus of of being a good steward of themselves, of making sure that they handled the situation appropriately by reminding themselves that they had agreed for denarius, so they hadn't been cheated, they received exactly what they had been promised. And that's really the first part of self-stewardship, is that it requires time focused on oneself instead of things outside of your control or the actions of other people. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we aren't in control of other people. We can't control what other people do. All we can do is control ourselves. 
and make sure that we do the best that we can with what we have been given, which is control over our own lives. We have not been given control over other people's lives, although I think many times we wish that we were so that we could change things in other people's lives. But we can't change things in other people's lives. We haven't been given that responsibility. We haven't been given that control. Yet we have been given control over our own life. And so we need to be good stewards with our own life that God has given to us and make sure that we are doing the best with it that we can. And making sure that we are doing the best we can, analyzing our actions, critiquing our words and our actions to make sure that it is in line with Scripture, it is in line with what God would want for us, that's not something that comes automatically. It's something that has to be done intentionally. And so it takes time focused on self-reflection to make sure that we are living our life in the way that God wants us to live it. It requires time focused on yourself. And you might think, well, that seems to go against a lot of what Scripture says, because isn't Scripture about not being selfish? Isn't it about being focused on other people instead of yourself? Well, there is a difference in what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is not just building yourself up for your own sake, but making sure that you are a good steward of the life that you have been given. And that does not go against Scripture at all. In fact, there are plenty of places um, in Scripture that talk about the same thing. For instance, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So people look at a verse like that and say, well, that's saying not to be focused on yourself. Don't be selfish. Be humble. Focus on other people. But if you continue reading on in that passage and get down to verse 12, he says, Therefore, so in order to do this, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that phrase, working out your own salvation, doesn't mean uh, doing enough good works to be saved. It's saying that you've received the salvation uh, gift of God, that blessing, that gift that you have received. So don't just receive the gift and let there not be any change to your life, but let that gift you have received, um, put that to work. Let that be shown through a change in the lifestyle that you live that is no longer one focused on yourself, but one focused on others. So essentially this passage is saying, don't be selfish by paying attention to the way that you are living. Focus on others by first focusing on yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition in humility, value others above yourselves. Therefore, in order to do this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, it's very important that we make sure that our life is right with God because we are not able to help out other people and, and really show other people the love of God that God wants us to show them unless we have first corrected things in our own heart. And that's also seen uh, in Matthew chapter 7, 
verses 3 through 5, where Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And that's, this is the principle that I'm trying to get us to understand here. Is realizing that we are no good to other people when we become so focused on what other people are doing and what other people are saying and, be, and want to control their lives when we have spent no time focused and thinking about and critiquing the way that we are living our life. This is what self, self-stewardship is about, is taking that time that's required to have those introspective moments, those times in prayer, where we ask God, what is it in my life that isn't lining up to your will? What are the things that I have to change? And this is something that is absolutely necessary for all believers to do, no matter how long they've been a believer. We have to learn to continually improve ourselves. And again, it's not, that's not a selfish thing. It's not saying, well, I want to be better than everyone else. No, it's saying that you need to be able to fix the broken things in your life so that you can help other people with the life that they are trying to live and that God is trying to get them to live. You need to fix what's broken so that you can help others. And if you spend all of your time trying to fix other people's lives and lifestyles and neglect your own life, then you're going to get to a place where you are not doing anyone any good. The workers became so focused with uh, the actions of the master with other people that it distorted their expectations and they did not handle the situation well. Instead, they got upset and they lashed out. And so then how did they lash out? Well, they lashed out by complaining against the landowner, by grumbling against him. He's saying that you have done something wrong here. You know, those that were hired last only worked an hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. In other words, they're saying, we are upset because you made a mistake here. You did something wrong. You've treated us unfairly. And so we have every right to be upset. We have every right to grumble against you. We have every right to complain about you because this is all your fault and we're not responsible for any of the things that we are doing and saying right now. The workers blamed the master for their situation. But that, again, is not how self-stewardship works. And it's important for us to realize that self-stewardship is exactly that. It's done by oneself, which means that self-stewardship is not the responsibility of others. You alone 
are in control of your own words and actions, and no one else is to blame for what you do and say except for you. It doesn't matter if you have had a bad parent or an absent parent or a bad spouse. No one else is to blame for you doing things that you knew were wrong. So stop playing the blame game. No one else is responsible for your actions. And the stewardship, the discipline of controlling your actions falls solely on you. You are the one responsible for that. Because here's the thing. You could have perfect people, literally perfect people in your life and still make mistakes. And I know that's true because I look at the life of Jesus's disciple Judas, who betrayed Jesus and took his own life. Now we know that Jesus lived a life without sin, a perfect and blameless life. And somebody might say, well, Judas spent all that time with Jesus. Jesus had three years with Judas as his teacher. And yet Judas made all of these mistakes. And, and they could say Jesus is to blame for Judas's actions because Jesus did not fulfill his role as teacher. But we know that that's not true. Jesus was perfect and blameless. He did nothing wrong. He did everything right. And yet, Judas still made mistakes. You could have perfect people in your life and still make mistakes. And the flip side of that is also true. You could have awful, terrible people in your life and still live a life of righteousness that God is calling you to. Because your strength doesn't come from other people. Your strength comes from God. And it's your choice on whether or not to accept that strength from God to help you walk those paths of righteousness. The burden is not on anyone's shoulders, but your own. And so each of us must take responsibility for our own actions. No one else is to blame because nobody else controls what we do. Only we control what we do. Now, at the end of this parable, the master makes a very good point. He says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last, uh, hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And I love this because the master is basically saying, mind your own business. <laughs> That's essentially what he's saying. Mind your own business. What does it matter to you? You agreed to work for a denarius. I gave you a denarius. If I decide to give other people more or less, that is absolutely none of your concern. And I love this because it shows such uh, confidence and security that this master has. That when this worker, all of these workers, say that you've treated us unfairly, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, you know what? You did more work. 
you got a point. You know, I, you're, you're right. I, I should pay you more, or maybe I should go and, and take some of the money I gave the other people and take that back because this is an unfair situation. That is not at all what he does. Instead, the master realizes that the only way that he is beholden to these workers was paying them what he agreed to pay them, which was the denarius, and he did so. And beyond that, he was not held to their opinions. The master had the right to do what he wanted with his own money, and as long as he honored his agreement with them, that was as far as he was beholden unto them. Everything else was up to him. And if he wanted to be generous, he could be generous. But he did not have to explain himself and his reasoning to those workers. And this is truly the gift that self-stewardship can bring us. And the reason why it's so important is because self-stewardship can bring us to a place of security in Christ. Because if we're being a good steward of our heart and life and actions and words and constantly critiquing ourselves and questioning, does this line up with the word of God? Am I personally right with God? Is my heart right with God? When you get to a place that you can answer yes to those questions, yes, I am walking in the will of God. Yes, in this situation, I did what I knew God wanted me to do. Then all of a sudden, no one else's opinion matters. Because the only opinion that truly does matter is God's opinion. Are you right with God? And if you are, that's all you need. You do not need the approval of other people. You don't need to be liked by other people. Jesus has promised that his disciples, he says, look, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. You are not going to be liked by everyone. Don't seek the approval of others. And Paul even talked about that. I'm not seeking people's approval. I'm seeking God's approval. And that's where self-stewardship can bring us is to a place where we say, I am going to make sure that I am analyzing my life and correcting the things that need to be corrected in my life to give myself, um, to, to put myself into the will of God so that I have the approval of God. And when we know that we've received that, then we can be secure in who we are and what we are doing. And we are not beholden to anyone other than God. And the security that comes from that is absolutely wonderful. And I've experienced that in my own life. Let me give kind of a silly example, but I think it still hits the point that I'm trying to make. When I was in college, a lot of the guys I knew, um, and a lot of guys on my floor and things like that, had nicknames. So there was Chubbs, there was Lefty, uh, a lot of friends that I had that, you know, they all had these different nicknames. So I ended up getting the nickname Zach the Great. 
that was my nickname in college. So uh, if any, any of you ever wanted to know, now you know. That was my name in college, Zach the Great. And that's what people called me. They just, hey, it's Zach the Great. Uh, it was just my name. Well, one day I was walking through the hallways of school, and I was with another guy on my floor. And he said to me, he said, you know, I think Zach the Great is just a very prideful nickname. And I just don't think it's a good nickname to have because it shows that you are prideful and you think that you're greater than other people. And, and I, just, I just don't approve of that nickname. And I had to then ask myself, well, hold on a second. Do I think that I am greater than other people? No, I don't think I'm greater than other people. Do I want people to call me Zach the Great so they think that I'm greater than them? No, I just think it's a silly name. And that's all it is, it's just a silly nickname. So I ended up not changing my nickname, despite the fact that this person found it to be something that was prideful. Because I was not beholden to his opinion of the nickname, I knew that in my heart, I didn't have that nickname for prideful reasons. I wasn't being prideful. I just thought it was a fun, silly nickname. And so I kept it. Because I wasn't concerned with whether or not this person liked the nickname. I was far more concerned with, well, am, is my heart prideful? Or is it not? Is my heart right with God? And as long as my heart is right with God, then I'm not going to go out of my way and change things about my life and lifestyle to please other people. Especially not one person's opinion. And that's what, that's, that's really the place that I want us to be. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't care about any, anybody else or you don't listen to anybody else's opinions. Because I did listen to what he said and questioned myself. But when I knew that my heart was right with God in that situation, I realized that there was no need for me to change that name in order to make that one person feel more comfortable. We should not be living our life in that way. We shouldn't be living a life seeking other people's approval of us. Because we will never have everyone's approval. But when we take time to examine our life and make sure that our heart is right with God, that's all that matters. And that's really what self-stewardship is all about is just making sure that we are being the best stewards of what God has given to us. And that does require us to, to critique ourselves, to spend some time analyzing our words and actions to see if it does match up with the heart of God, and continually to improve ourselves to be closer and closer 
to the man or, or woman of God that God wants us to be, continually improving ourselves, realizing that it's no one else's responsibility but our own, and not seeking the approval of people, but rather the approval of God. That is what self-stewardship is all about. And as I kind of close this up, I want to reiterate that none of this um, none of this stuff about self-stewardship is about selfishness. It's not about gaining recognition from others. It's not about building ourselves up and saying that we're better than other people. It's not even about uh, not caring about other people and saying, well, I'm just going to care about my own life and it doesn't matter what anybody else does or any- anybody else says or, you know, I don't, I don't have to connect with anybody else in the world. I'm just going to focus on me, 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 me. That's not what this is about. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Self-stewardship and taking that time to improve yourself and be a good steward of the life that God has given you is really what equips and enables us to love other people. Because when we handle our lives with good, godly stewardship, then all of a sudden, all of these flaws that we have, that we've worked on and overcome through the power of Christ, are no longer getting in the way of us loving other people. That we aren't blaming people for situations that we're in. We're not blaming other people for the way that we feel. We're not blaming other people for the things that we do and say. But recognize that it's solely our responsibility. Then we do take that responsibility and make sure that we are responsible in doing what God has asked us to do, including loving others. And when we're not looking for other people's approval but to love them as God has called us to, then that enables us to love not only the people who love us back, but the people who don't love us back. Because we're not trying to find security in the opinions of others, because we've already found that security in Christ alone. So when we put self-stewardship into practice, it actually equips and enables us to show others the love that God calls us to show them. So, that is the lesson that I wanted us to take from this parable. And I know it was a pretty tough one, but I hope it has been meaningful to you. And if you have any comments or questions of anything I've talked about, Feel free to let me know, get in contact with me, either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with others to help get the message out there. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for listening.